1: And good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960, WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com. And on our free WSBT Radio app, you can get the app right now and use it right away. Just go to the iTunes or Google Play Stores. Search WSBT Radio with the app. You can listen to us live. Or you can listen to the podcast whenever you would like. My name is Darren Pritchett from our WSBT studios in downtown South Bend, Indiana. Great to have you on board. It is eight minutes after five o'clock on this Tuesday, June the 28th of 2022. We have sunshine and 84 degrees currently in downtown South Bend tonight. Slight chance of a brief shower, low of 62 tomorrow, partly cloudy, becoming mostly sunny, a high of 87 degrees. Well, we have two hours of Budweiser's weekday sports beat tonight because the South Bend Cubs are playing in the central time zone and they're not going to get started in Beloit until 7.35 Eastern time. Our pregame coverage on WSBT Radio begins at 7.20, so I'll be with you until 7 o'clock tonight. Coming up on the program this evening in about 20 minutes, we'll have our Twitter question of the day It features Brian Kelly and Marcus Freeman in the same sentence. We'll give you the question, and you can vote on today's question on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. Coming up in about 30 minutes or so, Chuck Freeby is going to join me from WHME, longtime Notre Dame baseball broadcaster. Unfortunately, Notre Dame does not have radio for baseball anymore, so... Chuck would have been fantastic at the College World Series. We know that. But we're going to talk to him about the state of the Notre Dame baseball program. He knows it well. He knows really the inside stories that goes into being a member of this Notre Dame baseball program. You know, it's not easy to get their practices in when it's cold outside. Link Jarrett talked about that yesterday when he was introduced as Florida State's head coach. They have to share facilities with other sports teams. They fly commercial. It's a whole different ballgame just compared to what I have the pleasure of dealing with. And dealing is not the right word because it is really easy to travel with the Notre Dame hockey team. Our circumstances are a whole lot different. So we'll talk to talk about Notre Dame baseball and with the next head coach we'll have to deal with and make decisions about coming up in just a little bit. We'll have our My 5 question of the day before the end of the 5 o'clock hour. Then we'll start the 6 o'clock hour with Mike Singer, our Notre Dame football recruiting insider from Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Notre Dame football recruiting is hot. It's been hot. But it's going to get scorching hot over the next week because there is... How do I temper expectations? I don't want to get overly excited because I don't want to get you overly excited because as we know in the recruiting world, things can change in the drop of a hat. But there's a really good chance the Irish could land five prospects in the next week. It could be a busy next couple of days. Mike will lay it all out coming up in just a little bit. We'll talk to him about the most recent commitment, Jack Larson, 2024, four-star, Tied in from North Carolina, and also we need to talk about Charles Jag Asaw. He is from Rock Island, Illinois, and it's Notre Dame and Michigan for his services. If his announcement, which is coming up on Thursday, is like previous announcements when it's Notre Dame versus Michigan going to end well for Harry he's and the Fighting Irish. This is arguably the best offensive tackle in the country and it's basically Notre Dame versus Michigan and it is looking really, really good for the Fighting Irish. I'll let Our good friend Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, give you all the details in our conversation in about an hour here on WSBT Radio. We'll have our sports wagering segment also coming up in the 6 o'clock hour here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Our program is being brought to you by our longtime title sponsor, Budweiser, the king of beers, Locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, where new beginnings have happy endings. And by the St. Joseph County 4-H Fair. Summer starts here, July 1st through the 9th. Get details at 4HFair.com. The
2: first pitch of the first pitch of the night, and we are ready for the first pitch of- into the wind of his first offering, just a
3: bit
0: outside. He tried the corner and missed.
1: Well, our first pitch to you on Sportsbeat tonight centers around the ever-changing world of college football. Now, this is what I would call minor changes to college football, but this is something that we're probably going to see across the board in all conferences over the next couple of years. The Atlantic Coast Conference today announced that they are scrapping divisions. They had the Atlantic and the Coastal, and with the two-division format, the winners of each division went on to play in the ACC championship game. The exception, the COVID year, when Notre Dame joined the ACC for the football season, Clemson and Notre Dame finished in the top two. They played in the ACC championship game. So that was basically the layout then that they're going to use moving forward in 2023. Now, the ACC going to divisions, they become the fifth FBS league to make this particular decision. Now, the American did away with divisions last year. The Pac-12 and the Mountain West conferences, they eliminated divisions for the 2023 season, so this will be the last year for divisions in those two conferences. And the Big 12, they've had one division for quite a long time, back in 2011. Now, the SEC and the Big 12, we're waiting on them. Not much happening with the Big 10 right now. The SEC, they're expected to go to one division. But right now, I don't know if they're arguing, but they're trying to figure out the best way to handle scheduling when you take this great conference, do away with two divisions and narrow it down to one maybe the SEC will do something like the ACC. Jim Phillips, a former Notre Dame administrator, the ACC commissioner announced today that 2022 will be the last seasons for the Atlantic and Coastal Divisions in the ACC. In 2023, they've adopted a scheduling format that they're calling a 3-5-5 format. Now, the three stands for three rivalry opponents that – Each team will play annually. So those three games will be on the schedule each and every year, and I'll give you some examples of that coming up in a moment. In particular, we want to focus on teams that might be competing with Notre Dame and other powerhouse schools for playoff spots. So we'll focus on those teams in a moment. Now the fives refer to five home opponents, five away opponents that will rotate every other year. That allows every team – to play every other team in a four-year period at least once, home and away. This also helps beef up the TV package. We are getting to the point where these conference TV deals are going to be renegotiated. That's just a couple of years away. And everybody is looking to figure out a way to enhance their presentation to the networks. To me, the goal of the ACC right now is to try to manufacture as many must see games as they possibly can. One way of doing that is creating the three rivalry game format. These games will happen each and every year. So let's give you some examples. Now, I picked out three teams in particular to use as an example, mainly because these are three teams that have the best chance, in my opinion, to be consistently playoff contenders going forward. Now, two of the three teams haven't been that great the last few years. I'm basing it on the fact that that will change and they will get better eventually. Now, the obvious team, to point out, the Clemson Tigers, a regular in the playoff, except for last year when their offense was not very good. But in the new ACC format where they scrapped the divisions, their three rivalry games, Clemson is going to take on Florida State each and every year. They're going to take on Virginia Tech and North Carolina State. The Florida State game, that'll be very important for Clemson. In fact, I would think Clemson would like to see Florida State get a little better because they need some juice from their conference opponents. Now, Florida State, Mike Norvell trying to turn around that program. I hope they give him some time. That thing was in the gutter, and it was going nowhere fast. They showed some improvement last year. That's a good sign. But let's say Florida State returns to more of what we expect from Florida State to be over 500, very, very competitive in the ACC, and, Maybe eventually they'll get to the point to at least be a team in the conversation for the college football playoff. Going forward, the three games annually on the Florida State schedule, boy, if they win the main two games out of these three, they're going to be in the playoff picture. Florida State's rivalry games, the Clemson Tigers, the Miami Hurricanes, and then a game when everything is quote-unquote normal in college football, a very winnable game against the Syracuse Orange. So I think that's an interesting schedule. Clemson, Miami, Syracuse for Florida State. The third team I'm going to bring into the conversation, yeah, they've not been at their best the last few years. Miami's trying to turn things around, but let's put the Hurricanes in that list of teams that could be playoff contenders if they ever figure out their stuff. Miami, their three rivalry games – Florida State we've mentioned, Boston College, and Louisville. Now, it feels like Louisville could be dangerous. They've been a little hit and miss. Boston College, over the last 10 years, I'm not sure anybody gets overly fearful of Boston College. That might be changing a tad bit up there in Chestnut Hill right now. I'm not saying they're going to go 10-2 this year, but they look like a program that's becoming more and more competitive. So that's an interesting three teams. Now looking at the rivalry schedule a little differently Pittsburgh they might have the best opportunity to take advantage of the rivalry games. Again they've got Boston College Syracuse and Virginia Tech. Now if I'm Notre Dame I feel like That's three games they should win. I'm not trying to put Pittsburgh up at Notre Dame's level because they're not. But that's a portion of the schedule you feel like year in and year out if Pittsburgh is recruiting well, reaching their potential. Those are three winnable games. Who might have the toughest of the ACC teams and their rivalry matchups? I look at Georgia Tech. If these teams... Are there normal state? I think this is a tough go for Georgia Tech considering they're still trying to get out of the wishbone era, trying to rebuild that program with Paul Johnson now gone. Georgia Tech's rivalry games, Clemson, not fun. Louisville, probably not going to be fun. And how good has Wake Forest been the last few years? We know that here in South Bend they are not easy to handle. They were terrific last year, in particular offensively. So that's the three games for Georgia Tech. Clemson, Louisville, Wake Forest, they might have their hands full with those three games. So the ACC scrapping divisions, going to one division, like pretty much everybody is going to eventually. They're the fifth league to do this. And I just look at this as a way to beef up their TV package. They are building rivalry games into their schedule. You can count on these games each and every year. Everybody's going to play everybody at some point. They're trying to balance the schedule as best as they can. There's going to be so much, I think, that's going to change with where conferences are when the TV deals get redone coming up. I mean, there's been some media talk. I don't know how legitimate this is that NBC might have triple header football on Saturday. Notre Dame football, of course, being one of the three games, there was talk that there could be a primetime Big Ten game on NBC each week. Now, I don't know if that's exactly correct because I can't imagine NBC is going to take Notre Dame out of their two or three primetime game slots. I mean, the Big Ten has some really interesting matchups. Don't get me wrong, but taking Notre Dame out of primetime I'm not a TV programmer. I sure the heck didn't stay at a Holiday Inn last night, but I can't imagine that's a great business decision. I know Michigan has a huge fan base, Ohio State. Yeah, if Michigan and Ohio State are playing, okay, I get it. But I'm not sure there's many Big Ten games I would take Notre Dame out of prime time for. But, yeah, maybe NBC really gets serious about the college football market and Like the story I read, they might try to have three college football games on Saturday. The SEC is eventually leaving CBS and going to ESPN, so CBS might be in the bidding. What's interesting is the Big Ten network is owned by Fox, and Fox could lose the Big Ten programming, or at least a portion of it, which seems very strange, but then it's all about the cash. I'm sure NBC looking to get more involved in college football, which is just extremely popular and a ratings bonanza. I can't blame them one bit trying to go after more of the college football contracts. A lot's going to happen, to say the least. All right, Notre Dame coming up. Of course, they play their package of ACC games every year. This year, Notre Dame is at North Carolina at Syracuse, I just visited Upper New York. We stopped by the Carrier Dome. Had never been to Syracuse. That is the strangest building from the outside. It is just all concrete slabs as an outside barrier. There are no windows anywhere except for the doors. It's not what I expected, to say the least. Also this year, the Irish, of course, host Clemson in prime time in Boston College. Next year, Notre Dame will host Wake Forest at Clemson, Pitt at Duke, at Louisville, at NC State. 2024, the Irish will go to Georgia Tech and then host Florida State, Miami, and Virginia. That's a pretty juicy home schedule just with those two teams. 2025, NC State, Syracuse, at BC, at Miami, and at Pittsburgh. Time to get rid of those demons down in Miami. And 2026, looking way ahead, Notre Dame will be at North Carolina, at Florida State, host Virginia, Louisville, and Syracuse. So the ACC making the leap. Divisions will go bye-bye after this year. One division league, 14 teams to the post in 2023. The top two teams in the standings will play for the ACC championship. And using this 2023 format, the title game would line up perfectly in seven of the last eight years. So it doesn't look like that's going to change. The two teams that rise to the top of the ACC will still play for the ACC championship. 26 minutes after 5 o'clock, I'm Darren Pritchett. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Our Twitter question of the day is coming up in a couple of moments. Chuck Freebie from WHME will talk some Notre Dame baseball in about 14 minutes on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. United Beverage Company,
0: Indiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett.
1: It is 29 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Budweiser's weekday sports beat rolls on on your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. One game in Major League Baseball this afternoon. The Cleveland Guardians beat the Minnesota Twins 3-2. Ahmed Rosario put the Guardians in front to stay with a two-RBI base hit in the bottom of the eighth inning. That means the White Sox crawl back to within six games of Minnesota for first place in the AL Central. Twins and Guardians play game two of the doubleheader tonight. The White Sox are out in L.A. against the Angels once again tonight at 938.
0: This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: Well, we posted yesterday's Twitter question on my account. 9-6-0 960 Sports Beat, and the question was We started Notre Dame football spring ball with what looked like a deep and talented Notre Dame running back room. The opener against Ohio State could have a depth chart of Tyree, Estime, and Brian. Entries to Price and Diggs have changed the look of the running back depth chart for that first game against Ohio State. Price will not be back this year with the ruptured Achilles tendon. Diggs is apparently progressing well, according to Marcus Freeman. He told Blue and Goal Illustrated that, you know, we'll see Diggs at some point early on in the season. Good news is he's ahead of schedule. So with that being said, what is your level of concern for the running game against the Buckeyes? I offered you four choices. Number one was no concerns. Number two, quarterback Tyler Buckner will help the run game, kind of offset the losses. Choice number three, I'm concerned. Choice number four, not overly concerned because it's going to be a game which the Irish are going to need to throw the football. Here are the results of your voting at 960 SportsBeat. Coming in fourth place was that last choice. Not overly concerned because they're going to have to throw the ball a lot anyway. They got 3.5% of the vote. Coming in third place. No concerns. That got 7% of the vote. I think the Chris Tyree, Audric Estime accommodation probably makes those people feel really good about where the running game can be. So they got 7%. The battle for first was very, very close. Coming in second in the voting at 43.9% were the people that said, you know what? I'm a little concerned, but everything's going to be okay because if Tyler Buckner's my starting quarterback against Ohio State, his ability to run the football can help offset the losses to the running back room. And winning the vote, barely, 45.6%. 6% said, I'm concerned about the Notre Dame running game going into the matchup against Ohio State. Well, if you believe Las Vegas, it could be a throwing game for Notre Dame. The Irish are anywhere from, what, 10.5 to 14-point underdogs in the matchup against Ohio State. That would tell you that it would be a throwing second half for the fighting Irish football team if you believe in what Las Vegas thinks about this particular matchup. I can't answer no concerns because I have to look at the worst case. Chris Tyree dealt with the turf toe injury last year that really affected the second half of his season. Had an ankle injury this spring, so he's been banged up quite a bit in the last calendar year. Now, to be fair, ankle in the spring, you're not going to risk anything. If it's not that severe, you tape it up, you play in the fall. But I can't go no concerns because if somebody gets hurt between Tyree and Estime, then all of a sudden Brian, who just got on campus as a summer enrollee, is going to have a big role in that game. But the good thing is, like I mentioned yesterday, these injuries happen a long way away from that first game. So when fall camp starts, the people that need the reps will get the reps and they've got a month to get ready for that first game. So it comes down to me for I'm concerned or Buckner will help the running game. Actually, I think a combination of both would be a really good answer. But I think if I'm voting in this, I would say, yeah, I am concerned because that one injury could really change the look of the running back room to the point where you do get a little nervous about how things could take place in that matchup against Ohio State. Thank you so much for the votes. We greatly appreciate it. Here is today's question. Much simpler. Brian Kelly finished his Notre Dame coaching career with a 739 winning percentage. Will Marcus Freeman end up with a higher winning percentage than Brian Kelly at Notre Dame? You can vote yes, you can vote no right now on my Twitter account, 960 Beat. Again, Brian Kelly finished his Notre Dame coaching career with a 739 winning percentage. Will Marcus Freeman end up with a higher winning percentage than BK? And right now, an advantage for Marcus Freeman, finishing with a better winning percentage than Brian Kelly but long way to go in the voting you can vote right now on my twitter account at 960 sports beat we'll talk some Notre Dame baseball with Chuck Freebie next as sports continues on sports radio 960 WSBT
0: welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on sports radio 960 WSBT highlight reel won by Williams down the sideline Williams chase Mike Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Herb Smith touchdown. Five by Rocket Touchdown. Irish. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett.
1: Nineteen minutes in front of six o'clock. Sportspeak continues on this Tuesday evening. Well, yesterday, Link Jarrett was introduced as the new head baseball coach at Florida State. He returns to his alma mater after three years in charge of the Notre Dame baseball program. And what a job Link Jarrett did, putting the Irish back on the map and then some, helping Notre Dame get to the College World Series for the third time in program history. We were really blessed the last three years with Link's presence and what he brought to this Notre Dame program and how the players responded. And now the search is on for a new head coach of the Fighting Irish as Link will take over Florida State. And we'll, of course, see Link each and every year in the ACC, Notre Dame, and Florida State. So what's next for the Irish? Maybe give us some background information on the state of Notre Dame baseball. Longtime voice of the Irish, Chuck Freeby from WHME, of course, joins me for a couple of moments. And it is, without question... The first thing I need to say is I wish you could have called the College World Series games. I wish I could have heard the calls of that Texas game. I know you would have absolutely have nailed it. And after calling, let's face it, Chuck, a lot of losses during your time as Notre Dame baseball voice to call the College World Series would have been something that would have been definitely deserved.
2: Well, I don't know about deserve, but I appreciate the sentiment and it. Sure, it it would have been nice. It would have been a grand ride to be on. And, of course, that's always the dream is to get to call games in Omaha. I'm excited that uh, a protege of mine, uh, a young man that I've been able to advise a little bit, not that he needed my help, Mike Monaco, uh, did a superb job on the TV call on the College World Series and wound up getting to call his first national championship event. So I'm excited for him. Yes, it would have been nice, but uh, it, it just wasn't meant to be, and it it's okay. I'm fine. I've, I've had the chance to call a lot of other great things.
1: On another topic, I actually was going to mention this in the coming weeks, but if you talk about the perfect guy to take over NBC for the play-by-play of Notre Dame football, he would be the guy, I don't know if contractually, he would be eligible to have that role, but, Chuck, he's good enough to do it. He knows the product, and that would be an absolutely perfect fit.
2: Nothing would make me happier than to see that happen, but I don't think it will.
1: At least not this time around. That, that doesn't
2: mean it won't in the future.
1: Yeah, based on what we hear, definitely it's it's not going to happen. Well, let's talk some Notre Dame baseball. First, let me just get your reaction to what you saw this year from this Irish baseball team, in particular that series down in Knoxville, knocking off number 1 Tennessee.
2: Well, again, went Jarrett, just a dugout wizard, and I think once again the Irish show – his attention to detail, the grit that he demands from teams, uh, the fact that uh, he had a veteran team, a lot of fifth-year seniors, a lot of fourth-year seniors on the squad. So it's not just Link Jarrett leaving that it will be a setback for Notre Dame baseball. It's the fact that a lot of talented players have now used up their eligibility and – you've got to find ways to replace all those people. And a freshman, even in college baseball, uh, there are some exceptions. Uh, the kid from North Carolina State this year, Tommy Tanks, and, of course, kid we saw him, uh, from Oklahoma, the young man that was a pitcher this year, there are some exceptions. But most of the time, much like other sports, experience pays dividends, and it certainly did for the Irish in the last couple of years.
1: Chuck, during Link's press conference yesterday down in Tallahassee, he referenced that he actually became a more creative coach because of his three years in South Bend, and he offered the example during the offseason, he would be practicing on a football field indoors where softball and lacrosse were also doing things, and the track team is running up above while you're having baseball practice. And he said when your two hours were up, if you weren't done, you had to finish your scrimmage in the hitting cages. How much of a challenge is it to be a Notre Dame baseball player during the offseason?
2: It is a tremendous challenge not just during the offseason. I think it's a tremendous challenge during the season as well. So your practices start in January. Well obviously you're not going outdoors very often in January. I have seen some outdoor practices at Notre Dame. We've had those Weird 60-degree days, and I know a couple of years ago they were able to open practice outdoors somehow. But most of the time, you're in the loftus. You're in a backup football facility with a lot of nets down. You can't take fly balls. You're basically working on small ball. Your pitchers are getting their work in. You're working on fielding. You're working on timing, trying to get down all the things you can do. Link Jarrett was big on the timing issue. If you ask any Irish infielder, they'll tell you the play must be made in 4.2 seconds because a stopwatch was constantly used during practice to emphasize that point. Again, the attention to detail. So, yeah, Link found ways that he could work on the little things of the game with his team. Of course, the opposite field hitting approach was emphasized in the hitting cages, uh, which they have some decent hitting cages, Uh, just outside the clubhouse, but they're not attached to the clubhouse. Again, you're coming from the clubhouse. You have to walk outdoors and whatever weather there is, go over and then get in the hitting cages. So it is an extreme disadvantage when you look at most of the Atlantic Coast Conference and you see schools like Miami, Florida State, Clemson. And, yes, I know it gets cold in North Carolina, North Mm -hmm. Carolina State, and Duke, but not to the extent that it does in South Bend. The teams that I do admire Louisville, what Dan McDonald has done down there, uh, because that's, while it's not as cold as South Bend, it's not exactly warm weather for most of the year. But then schools like Pitt Boston College and Notre Dame really scuffle. Now you get into the season. Starts in mid-February. you're not playing a home game in South Bend in mid-February. You're not playing a home game until the end of March. So for the first five weeks, you're on the road. Do you have a charter flight? No, you're driving 90 minutes. If you're lucky, you to fly out of Midway or two hours to O'Hare. You're, you have to get there two hours before your flight because you have so many bags. Hopefully you're fi- flying southwest because bags fly free. Otherwise, <laughs> that's an added cost. Yeah. Uh, you, you probably got a box lunch from Jimmy John's to eat on the bus trip down. You might grab something in the airport. You fly to your destination, there's another bus ride after everybody gets their bags, gets on the bus, goes to the hotel, so you don't get anywhere before midnight. And frequently in these early season games, you're not playing at night, you're playing in the afternoon. And you turn around, you have to play at 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That's just the nature of the beast. But after a while, when 9 out of your 10 trips during the regular season involve no charter flights. The only charter is to Tallahassee because you cannot get out of there Hmm. and get home in time to get to class. It does wear on a team. And that's where I appreciate what this Irish team did because their road winning percentage under Link Jarrett was phenomenal.
1: Hmm. Chuck Freeby, former voice of Irish baseball, of course, broadcaster, WHME joining me here on WSBT radio. So let me throw this at you, Chuck. Now, obviously, X Stadium and you offered a – you painted a really good picture of what the facilities are like, and it is well behind the arms race across college baseball. I believe Arkansas just opened up a $37 million baseball facility like Notre Dame football just opened within the last couple of years. They have committed to baseball. That's probably going above and beyond. But, hey, those players are are set up for success during the offseason. Let's put all that aside for a second. You think back to two years ago. Notre Dame felt like they should have hosted a super regional. It didn't happen, and I'm sure attendance was a big reason why Notre Dame did not host that particular regional. And facilities, Mississippi State had all the advantages. You know, if you if it came down to Notre Dame, Mississippi State, which it didn't, I understand that. But hey, you look at the difference. It's night and day. Even Chuck, if Notre Dame improved facilities and however that would be. Doesn't it come down to our community supporting the product more? Because there were free tickets this year to every game, and they averaged around 500 fans. Palminaries last year, and I thank Eric Hansen for pointing this out to me in his article that Palminaries last year at Notre Dame, they sold out 2,500 seats, I think, or 2,500 season tickets that particular year. But if you look at it, The program was marketed, I think, differently back then. Remember the Jeff Samarja poster, the Golden Tate pictures, Pat Connaughton? That was really promoted. You think about the last couple of years, there has not been a whole lot of promotion of Notre Dame baseball. There's no radio broadcast, which I think hurts getting the word out about this particular program. But, Chuck, if they can spend all the money on improving the facilities, but if people don't show up at the ballpark, I just don't see how this regional super regional problem gets a whole lot better, right or wrong.
2: Well, well let's back up a little bit to those ticket figures because they're somewhat misleading. There used to be a preseason dinner where yes. Pulmonary would bring in a big name Tommy Lasorda, Roger Clemens. There were there were some big baseball names that came to South Bend for that preseason Brad dinner. Lidge, BGO, and, yeah. and anybody who came to that preseason dinner got a season ticket as part of their price for coming to the dinner. So yes, you had 2,500 tickets sold for every game because 2,500 people came and ate a dinner in late January.
1: But does the NCAA care about that? I don't know if they would
2: know that. Well, they may not know it, but I'm just explaining. Sure. It's not that there are fewer people coming actually coming to the games. It's that it was handled differently back then than it is now. If you look at the home weather that Notre Dame had for most of its games this year, they were playing in 45 and 50 degree temperatures. You're not going to get fans to come out and sit through a three-hour ballgame. Oh, I agree. Even if you're giving tickets away. Now, I go back, though, to last year at the regional. And when Notre Dame played in the regional last year at X Stadium with great weather conditions, even though people had to pay for tickets, that place was full. Mm-hmm. I think under the right conditions, people will come out. And certainly – Uh, During regional and super regional weekend, it's much warmer here in the north, and the lure of coming to an NCAA tournament is going to bring a lot of fans out. Now, that said, Notre Dame is still going to have to compete in the baseball arms race, if not for things like regionals and super regionals, just to remain competitive in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Mm -hmm. Right now, there are 15 teams, I believe, that play baseball in the ACC. And Notre Dame's facility would rank 14th. It's only ahead of Pitt. The baseball stadium is the oldest athletic facility on campus. And people say, well, it's only 30 years old. Yes, and it's still (laughs) the oldest athletic facility on campus. It doesn't have enough press room to host uh, an NCAA Super Regional. It barely has enough room for the home team locker room. It doesn't really have a visiting team locker room facility it does not have an umpire locker room facility all of those things were taken out of the original drawing back by the colloquy of 2000 when x stadium was built so you have to do some facility improvements not only to get to host a regional or super regional but i think in order to remain competitive in the arms race of college baseball When Frank X Stadium was built, it was the college baseball jewel of Indiana. At best, it's the third-best college stadium in Indiana behind IU and Purdue right now. It might be fourth. Mm.
1: But, Chuck, I'll say this. And, again, I think it does come down to having to marketing the product better. Let's just use Notre Dame Hockey as an example. They come up with promotions. They – advertise on radio. They used to advertise on TV. I'm not sure if they still do or not. They put stuff in the paper. They give people reasons to come out to the hockey game. And you at the very least you know a series is coming up by turning on the radio because you hear the Notre Dame hockey promotions. There just isn't that same impact with baseball. You really have to search yourself to find out if Notre Dame baseball Is playing, And again, without any radio play-by-play, it just feels like Notre Dame baseball is lost at sea, despite the fact having really one of the best three-year runs in college baseball the last three years.
0: Oh,
2: I don't dispute the marketing angle whatsoever. I mean, for crying out loud, you could put a marquee out by Edison Road and put on a game today, and that would be more advertising than what they're getting for the product right now. So, yes. It needs to be marketed better. You can tell people all over the place, hey, there's free tickets. But if there's not a schedule card out there, if there's not some of the things that you've just brought up, of course people aren't going to know that there's a game. And then the other part of that is you mentioned in the past they had these these crossover players, these football players playing baseball or basketball players in the part of Pat Connaughton. Mm-hmm people that already had some celebrity recognition. There was a definite bump in attendance on nights when Jeff Samarja was playing. Others, uh, when Golden Tate was having a good season back in 2009, there was a definite bump in attendance for that. Connaughton would bring more people to yeah. the ballpark. Now the good news is they got a kid coming over from Andrean named Drake <laughs> Bowen, who is a really good linebacker and a really good baseball player. And if you can get a couple of those two-way players, that will help. But again, people, as you're mentioning, have to know when the games are. Would I love to be back on the air doing radio? Sure. That's not my call. I mean, <laughs> that, that's their call, and they have reasons for doing that. But I think there are a lot of factors that come into play here for the reason that Frank X Stadium, despite a coach that went 86-32 and 32 in three years and took his team to two Super Regionals and the College World Series – Uh, most of the time is quieter than the library.
1: (laughs) So finally, this is just kind of throwing out the question. I know we don't have a whole lot of insight right now. Are you excited about the coaching search? Do you feel like there's a leading candidate or is there a name out there that maybe you've read that's caught your attention? I just haven't heard a whole lot so far. I know. Blue and Gold had a story about a former player that was interested, but I feel like you almost need someone that is established to take over the program, at least with some coaching experience.
2: It'll be interesting to see which way Jack Swarbrick takes this because he has promoted from within without head coaching experience yeah. on some big hires lately, Marcus Freeman, Neil Ivy, just to name a couple. Chuck Rostano has been the pitching mm. coach at Notre Dame and done a stellar job over the last decade. I don't know if Chuck wants a head coaching job or not, but I think if he does, that's someone that could be considered. Another guy from the outside that could be considered, actually there's two that kind of catch my eye. One is Justin Hare. He's the head coach at Campbell. Four-time Big South champion, much like Link Jarrett was at UNC Greensboro. Seventy-eight and thirty-seven the last two years. But even for a former uh, pitching coach, very offensive-minded. Campbell last year uh, led uh, was the only team in the nation with over a hundred hit-by-pitch, stolen bases, doubles, and homers. So very offensive-minded coach. Jordan Bischel at Central Michigan, 85-37 and 37 the last two years. Brought his team down here for the NCAA tournament two years ago. I kind of think that he might wind up getting the Michigan job. He's been a Michigan man. He's been in Michigan. I don't want to say Michigan man. Sound like Bo. <laughs> but he's been in Michigan his entire life. And then you got uh, Jeff Duncan, who played for Pat Murphy at Arizona State has had some really good years at Kent State, although the last two have not been so good. So the 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 luminescence may have fallen off that star a little bit.
1: Mm. Well, Chuck Rosano, for me, he crosses, I think, off a couple of very important things. Number one, he understands Notre Dame. Number two, he's a really good baseball guy. And number three, he is a huge hockey fan. So that makes him a leading candidate for the baseball job just based on those three things. Big New York Islander yeah, fan, did you know that?
2: Oh, well, yeah, he's a huge Islander fan. Uh, and that was even before your boy Anders Lee walked up there. Right. He was a huge Islanders <laughs> fan. But I'll say this. If it's not Chuck Rostano, if the new head coach doesn't retain Chuck Rostano, then they're an idiot.
1: No, oh, no question. I just wondered if Link would try <laughs> I mean, to bring him to Florida State. Florida State. Well as you probably know,
2: Chuck's wife is an assistant coach mm-hmm. with the softball program. Yeah. So that would have to be a twofer deal that Florida State would do there. I don't know. I'm sure they still have some money left in the coffers. down there. <laughs> yeah.
1: They haven't had to pay for a new football coach in a couple of years. So maybe they've saved a few bucks. That's for sure. They, well,
2: they just sent uh, Jack Swarbrick a check for over $100,000 for Lynx buyout,
1: but it didn't seem to phase them. Uh, no. Is that all? 100000 That just seems like pocket change anymore in college sports.
2: Exactly.
1: I, I could not believe when I heard during one of the NCAA broadcasts that there are 33 or 34 college baseball coaches making a million dollars per year.
2: And according to what I saw from media reports in Tallahassee, one of them still won't be Link Jarrett, until seven years into his contract.
1: Yeah, making just a little over $800,000 next year, which is still going to put him in a better tax bracket than he was here.
2: Yes. Yes, it will. He's doing okay. He got a healthy raise.
1: (laughs) Yes, he did. Before we go, I just want to say congratulations to you, You're in another Hall of Fame. I don't know how many that is now, but the local chapter, Indiana Football Hall of Fame, inducted you, what, about a week ago. So congratulations on that honor. There is no doubt you are a voice of high school and college sports in our area, so that is a very well-deserved honor. So congratulations.
2: Very kind of you to bring up. Very kind of them to admit me. Uh, Obviously, the standards have been lowered incredibly, but I'm – I'm deeply humbled by being brought in in a class that included Johnny Lujak, and I'm just glad that the last 70 years of Johnny's life has somehow swayed the chapter to bring him into the Hall of Fame.
1: Absolutely. Very well said. (laughs) And and, and by the way, the Bertrand kid pitching, if you would have been the voice of the Irish, I think you you could have used that Harwell saying a few times.
2: He did freeze a lot of people and have them standing there like the house by the side (laughs) of the road, no doubt.
1: I love it. Chuck, good to catch up with you. How many days till football starts, high school football?
2: High school football begins in 52 days. Wow. And uh, we'll release our schedule sometime after the 4th of July.
1: So we have to wait a few more days. I was going to ask you what the opener is. No hints even? Oh, I can't
2: I can't give away hints like that. I mean, we're, we're trying to con- get confetti cannons and marching <laughs> bands for this announcement. Are you kidding me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I totally understand that. Hey, thanks for doing this tonight. Greatly appreciate it. You have a great insight on this baseball program. It was a great ride to the College World Series, and hopefully there's still a little more magic left in that baseball locker room for years to come.
2: We'll be keeping a close eye on it. Thanks yes. for having me on, Darren. All right,
1: Chuck, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. That is Chuck freebie. Leading off the 6 o'clock
0: hour on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy's good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. A Midwest league champion. Adios! Walk-off home run, Eloy Jimenez. Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye, and maybe that's a winner.
1: Here's Darren Pritchett. And welcome back to Budweiser's weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, BlueandGold.com. We're ready to talk Notre Dame football recruiting with you, Mike. Good to see. you. It's been a couple of weeks. I bet you you've been busy as always.
3: Of course, it's commitment season, Darren. I, I can't you know go on a vacation right about now like unlike some people. So, yeah,
1: you know. those people you know I don't know who they are, but <laughs> you know some people are more dedicated than others I guess. <laughs>
3: busy time, Darren. It's, That's right, yeah, very busy.
1: Hey, let's backpedal a few days. I haven't talked to you since Notre Dame picked up a verbal commitment from a really good-looking tight end in the 2024 class, and that is Jack Larson. What can you tell us about Jack Larson?
3: He's an impressive player. Um, you know, at about six three, two fifteen to two twenty, more of a receiving tight end. I don't think that he has the genetics that he, he's gonna be a six five, six six tight end. You know, I think he you know probably gets noted about six three, six four. This like how how big he is, i, I mean, I don't know. That's a talking point when a kid's going into his junior year of high school, like He's 220 right now. Okay, like, get to Notre Dame at 230. Like, why do we care about that? You know, it's not not a, not a big deal. But the skills are impressive. He Again, he's definitely a receiving tight end. You put him in the slot, put him out wide. You can, He's good enough blocking that you can't have him in, as an inline player, but that's not his game. He excels as a route runner um, and as a receiver. Catches the ball very well. Um, when we got to see him at Irish Invasion in early June, Jack Larson was fantastic. So, um, you know, the rankings from site to site vary on him, um, but, I mean, you, you watch the tape. I've seen him in person a couple times now, and uh, the offer list, you know, speaks for itself. Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, uh, Michigan, some some big-time schools were after him. So, yeah, Darren is just a, a, a really solid get for Notre Dame, and, You know, you need a receiving tight end to continue tight end you.
1: Mike, if you don't mind me going kind of a different direction with Larson, but we spent a lot of time talking about Notre Dame going toe-to-toe with Ohio State. There's been a lot of Notre Dame victories over Michigan recently, and there might be more on the way in the coming days. Oh yeah. We remember back to the battle between Notre Dame and Clemson for the running back, Shipley. Is Notre Dame and Clemson, are they still crossing paths quite a bit in this 23-24 cycles?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you had, you had Larson, um, uh, Monroe Freeling the a big offensive tackle, um, who, who both schools um, have been in contention for, but not there's nothing jumping off the top of my head. That's like Will Shipley, you know, level of, of uh, hyped up recruitment. Um, uh, but yeah, I would say Notre Dame, Clemson battling a good bit, um, I mean, yeah, I think just pretty much all the powerhouses the Fighting Irish have been battling it against, and that's certainly a good thing. And uh, you mentioned Michigan. Goodness gracious. I wrote a column a few weeks ago. I think we discussed it on on your show about, you know, uh, Notre Dame beating up on the Wolverines on the recruiting trail. I might have to refresh that column because it's gotten – it's really bad for Michigan right now uh, versus Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame's just cleaning up. And, again – can we not under, like, um, devalue the fact? I don't care. Like, if you're a Michigan fan, how can you not be, like, ashamed about Michigan not landing CJ Carr, Lloyd Carr's grandson? That's crazy. I mean, what what's, is there, Darren, is there, like, a Notre Dame comparison that, that you could give, like, you know, Lou Holt's grandson picking Michigan? Like, that would be nuts,
1: right? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. That's for sure. The that's, closest that's what thing, I, that's, that's what remember I the tight end head. that went to Alabama, Irv Smith? His dad was a great tight end at Notre Dame, and Notre Dame never offered him. So, still a little apples and oranges. But you're right. That's a major upset. And you look at the 24 class, which right now, it's early. It's number one in the country. There are two Michigan players in that particular class already.
3: Again, carved from uh, just outside of Ann Arbor, Brandon Davis-Swain, a defensive lineman um, who the Irish got a commitment from in, in late April. Um, Owen Wayful, uh, a defensive lineman from New Jersey. Um, so that's four. Um, you got Jack Larson. Four or five? I don't know. There's so many commitments lately. It's hard to keep track of. Cam Williams is a receiver from Chicagoland. Um, very impressive at Notre Dame's Irish Invasion camp a few weeks back. Larson was very good at that camp. CJ Carr obviously was excellent, and Cam was very good. Another guy, Kane Williams, guys, he grew up in Michigan. He did not like – like there was no love for Notre Dame in that household. I was even told early in his recruitment, before even the Irish were looking at him, he was like, I don't really want to hear from Notre Dame. Now, maybe it's not – I'm trying to remember what it was. Not that he didn't want to hear from Notre Dame, just wasn't really interested in in, in that pitch. You know, like he he seemed pretty set on Michigan, and Michigan was on him earlier than Notre Dame. But I I like Notre Dame to land him tomorrow evening. Uh, So, yeah, it just goes from back doors for, for Michigan against Notre Dame on the recruiting trail.
1: It's amazing. Growing up in central Illinois, 90 minutes from Champaign, so many Illinois kids root for Michigan, they root for Notre Dame. They root for Wisconsin. Illinois has been so far off the radar for so many years. They're coming back a little bit with Bielema, but still, guys like Cam Williams, they're going elsewhere. They're leaving the state. And since we're talking about Notre Dame in Michigan, Charles Jagasaw, let's bring him into the conversation. He's from Rock Island, Illinois, an offensive tackle, a highly thought of offensive tackle, Mike. I know the On3 consensus believes he's a top 50 player in the country, one of the best Offensive tackles in the nation. And look on the screen for those of you watching on our YouTube channel at Blue and Gold. Look at the top two: Notre Dame and Michigan. And Mike, I see there's a 90.9% chance, according to the prediction machine, he's gonna pick the fighting Irish over Michigan.
3: The number one offensive tackle, um, according to on three zone rankings. So uh clearly the, the folks at on three think very highly of jagsaw Um I mean his wrestling background. Uh, he just has a really high upside, and um, I think he could be a pretty dominant offensive tackle for for one of those two schools. So, Darren, it I've I said a couple times now. This is it's commitment season right now. So you got Ken Williams is announcing between those two schools Wednesday. Got Charles Jagasaw picking between the two schools on Thursday. Uh, and then uh, there's a few more prospects in the 2023 class. Rico Flores, receiver from California. Micah Bell, a, a, a cornerback from Texas. And then Christian Gray, a cornerback from St. Louis. I'm pretty sure all those guys had Michigan. So I don't want to turn this into a Bass Michigan show. Um, but again, it's, facts. It, 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 yeah, it, it's an impressive run for Notre Dame over over Jim Harbaugh's squad. But um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty busy time for, for Notre Dame football recruiting.
1: Mike, there was a time where Michigan football was bringing out offensive linemen after offensive linemen to the National Football League. It was kind of the place to go. But honestly, and I'm not being biased, I'm not saying this because I have a green Notre Dame polo shirt on, but there's no comparison right now. If you're one of the best offensive linemen in the country and you're choosing between those two, uh, to me it's a Mercedes Benz and a Cadillac. Michigan's still a great place to go, but come on, Harry Heastan, Notre Dame, what they've done the last ten years—it's not even an argument.
3: I mean, yeah, from if you want to give that from like a, a very black and white perspective, sure. But I mean, recruiting is—it's—it's it's not black and white. It's relationships. I mean, the the amount of factors that go into a decision, sure. Um, so I, I like to push back against that line of thinking because it's not like if it's Notre Dame versus Stanford you know it's well Stanford is maybe better academically but Notre Dame be good better football like <laughs> sure but like there are many other factors that that go into a decision why kids would pick Stanford over Notre Dame you know so i so i i do push back on that a little bit um but what you're saying is not incorrect if that makes sense just again cuz there's there's so many factors in recruitment you know location um you know looking at the depth chart relationship with coaches schematically all that kind of stuff but again you, you're, you're not wrong
1: i should have played along i shouldn't have said notre Dame was a mercedes i should have said a ferrari there you go based on freeman driving the ferrari a couple of weeks ago man recruiting has changed holy cow <laughs> mike singer notre dame football recruiting insider blue and gold illustrated blue and gold.com Joining me on WSBT Radio, our video of our conversation also available on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. Mike throws up videos along the way. And I'll tell our listeners on WSBT Radio, everything's off the top of his head. When I was asking about some Michigan recruits, I mean, there were no notes. He might have been looking to the sky trying to grab them, but it is all off the top of his head. I'm very, very impressed. There There are no notes. I got it all written. I got it written down on my ceiling above. (laughs) You know, I just looked up. Is that what it is? Okay. Hey, Notre Dame had a really good group of players on campus late last week. Name drop a little bit. Who stood out to you?
3: Yeah, so the first, what, three weekends, you got June 3rd, it's June 3rd? Yeah, June 3rd, June tenth, June 17. Those were all Fridays. Official visits, you know, that Irish invasion camp, which I've mentioned a few times, was. That, that first weekend. So it was a lot focused on the 2023 class. Elijah Page, an offensive tackle recruit committed to Notre Dame following his first weekend of June official visit. So that was kind of focused. Well, after the June 17th weekend, focus for visits shifted towards the 2024. They didn't bring in any more official visitors. Um, so you had three, four actually big-time unofficial visitors for this 2024 class. So they paid their own way to get up to campus. Sammy Brown number 12 overall player in uh, number two linebacker per the 2024 on three consensus from Jefferson, Georgia. That's just outside of Athens. I think it's about a half hour. So mm. Notre Dame battling those sec powers for Sammy Brown. We've stories up on all these guys at blue and as well. Ryan Wingo, the number four overall player in the country, number one wide receiver. That's a five-star recruit from St. Louis university high school. Those, from St. Louis, who are Notre Dame fans, you know how big time of a uh, school this is for Notre Dame to be in, involved at. So uh, Notre Dame had this five-star recruit on campus. And then another kind of profile school for Notre Dame, St. Joseph's Prep in Philadelphia, number 154. Player nationally number 20 cornerback is uh, Emilio Agard. So all three of these players, again, in the 2024 class. Irish had Brown and Wingo on campus Thursday. Agard was on campus Friday, Notre Dame quarterback commit C.J. Carr in the 2024 class showed up to campus Thursday and hung out with Brown and Wingo, got dinner with them. Carr, I mean, so my my first recruiting class covered Notre Dame's 2020. That I would say that the, kind of the recruiter of the class among the commits was Drew Pine. Drew Pine did a really nice job. 2021, of course, Blake Fisher, um, very a little bit more aggressive, you know, like I, Blake would. Like, kind of like, all oh, right, you don't like Notre Dame? Well, screw you. Kind <laughs> of, no, I'm just kidding. But like, Blake was was he was aggressive, you know, as a recruiter. In, in 2022, you know, I think it was a mix of some guys. Probably say Steve Angeli was um, the main recruiter among the commits. 2023 you got Drake Bowen, uh, the linebacker from from Maryville in, in the uh, just outside Chicago, and then you have obviously Carr for 24. And from what I've seen from Carr just the first couple weeks, he might be the best one I've seen. I mean, just very active, very bought into Notre Dame. There's no, you know, I don't want to be that guy on social media that's tweeting at our recruits. And, um, you know, he's just – he's doing a really good job with it. Um, You know, whether it's publicly or privately, you know, he's recruiting kids in the 23 class, 24 class, offense, defense, does not matter. Once Notre Dame really gets started
1: on the 2025 class, I bet CJ's going to be recruiting those kids
3: too. So he's doing a really nice job, Darren.
1: Mike, let's discuss the near future for Notre Dame football recruiting. Over the next week, is there a really good chance that Notre Dame could add four or five more players to their recruiting classes?
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Cam Williams. Um you know, a, a big-time 2024 wide receiver um, who we talked about earlier in the show. I like him to choose Notre Dame Wednesday night. Uh, Thursday morning looks like Notre Dame could get good news from Charles Jagasaw from Rock Island, Illinois. Um, looks like the Irish have a good shot of beating out Michigan. Um, Friday is Micah Bell, a uh, four-star cornerback from the Houston area. Um I think it's 6 Eastern time. Micah Bell's announcing his de- decision. Saturday looks like it might be a day off. And, and I think Notre Dame gets Micah Bell. I've got predictions in for, I think, all five of these kids from Atlanta Notre Dame who I'm about to talk about. You had Williams, Jagusaw, Bell. Fourth one, Charles, uh, excuse me, Rico Flores, July 3rd, four-star receiver from California. I like Notre Dame there. He has top three of Notre Dame, Georgia, and Ohio State. And he was scheduled to take uh, three official visits in June. He only ended up making it to Notre Dame. The Georgia and Ohio State trips got canceled. That's kind of telling, in my opinion. We'll see. And Independence Day, Christian Gray, a very impressive cornerback prospect from St. Louis, who Notre Dame's been recruiting for over a year now. And um, if I had a dollar for every time I've mentioned his name on (laughs) on your show, Darren, I I would be rich at this point. You know, he, he is announcing between Notre Dame, LSU. Uh, USC at Ohio State, I, I, I've liked the Irish for him um, since I think uh, when we were at Rivals, I put in a pick last November for him to go to Notre Dame. So they could go five for five, all highly ranked prospects. I mean, Charles Jagsaw the number one tackle in the country, just a cherry on top of an already impressive offensive line class potentially. Yeah, it's um, – it's sunshines and rainbows right now for Notre Dame on the recruiting trail. Everything. I mean, even though you have Dante Moore's recruitment, you know, that's the one we've been following for so long and um, kept such a close eye on that one's trending away from Notre Dame. Looks like he's going to end up at Oregon, which there, we can dedicate a whole show to that one uh, at a later date. But um, even with that, it's still such a Notre Dame's in such a good place for recruiting.
1: Mm, incredible. It feels like, you're the expert, I'm the dummy, so I might be just overanalyzing things. But is Notre Dame just farther along in everything they're doing this year compared to previous years? It feels like they got the offers out on time, or sooner maybe I should say, and they've been aggressive going after the players they wanted. We've documented they're not afraid to go into a big powerhouse's backyard and get a player are things a little different right now compared to last year in terms of pacing of recruiting and getting the offers out and getting the commitments?
3: Yeah. I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. Um, I mean, I I think is Marcus Freeman recruiting better than Brian Kelly era? Like I, I think the easy answer is just to say yes right now. And again, kind of just live in the moment and say that I, we, we would need a few years to really answer that question. Uh, but in terms of what you're asking, like what I'm seeing, there's definitely more of an energy. Someone like this is the first recruit that popped in my head, Kane Barong, uh, a tight end at Notre Dame, signed with the Irish in the 2021 class. His really only contact at Notre Dame was Chip Long. That's the only, like when he commits to Notre Dame, Kane Barong did, Chip Long. I mean, that's the only guy who's recruiting him. I think he talked to Brian Kelly once during his process, and it's, it's just it's just Chip Long. And you know, again, Chip was the offensive quarter and tight ends coach, but still, like, there's just one coach that was so when Chip Long leaves, Kane's like, no one here, like, I don't know anyone. Now it's for every recruit, it's a four pronged attack, pretty much. I mean, you got Marcus Freeman's involved with every single recruit they're after, Chad Bowden's involved with every single recruit they're after. You've got the coordinator and the position coach. That's four minimum. So it, it's Definitely more well-oiled machine. And, Darren, I, I mean, what I'm about to say, I, I was saying when Freeman got hired, um, look, I mean, there is – when your head coach is recruiting hard, that trickles down to the rest of your staff, and they are going to recruit hard too. When Brian Kelly is not an active recruiter, that's going to trickle down at a negative weighted to staff. Like, I'm not really going to recruit this week no one's going to know this, you yeah. know, Brian Kelly don't care. You know, like that, that's at least my kind of read on, I don't know if that actually happened, but yeah, you know, when, when and this is in college football or any field, like if your boss is not showing a good example of being a daily active recruiter in this, then, you know, the, why should anyone else on the staff be? So um, yeah. So long way to say Freeman's killing it. And, you know, he's not going to accept, you know, uh, Delane McCullough or Chancey Stucker or any of the coaches to slack off because your boss is doing it. You better do it, too.
1: Do you got time for one more question? Of course. Since you mentioned Dante Moore, and we've talked about C.J. Carr being in the 24 class, and I asked you recently any chance he would reclassify, and you didn't close the door on it. I was wondering, has there been any change in that conversation? And if not, do you believe Notre Dame is still in pursuit of a 23 quarterback? Are there a couple of quarterbacks that they might be looking at? How would you define to Notre Dame fans right now as Notre Dame reexamines three class for quarterbacks?
3: Reexamines is a really good word, Darren, because um, I, I do believe that's exactly what's going on right now. So much talk about TJ Carr potentially reclassifying to 2023. I'm told it's still, an, it's still on the table, still an option. But my, my message to Notre Dame fans is I would expect for it not to happen. And if it does, take that as a nice pleasant surprise. Again, still on the table, um, but right now not expected to happen. As far as what they would do next to 2023, and to my knowledge, Notre Dame has not made a move on that yet. They, I mean, there are so many options. You can go offer someone out there, you know, maybe someone who's under the radar, whether that's someone you like now or you wait till you see some three or four games of senior film. You can try to flip a quarterback committed elsewhere. Um, you know, you can skip the position and get a transfer and go get two in 2024. You can get some, uh, you know, under the radar talent and still get a transfer. I mean, do you wait to see what you have on the roster this fall? There's just so many options for Notre Dame. Um, and what I go back to is listen, Irish fans, as much as it sucks at Tante Moore, again, it does not look like Notre Dame's going to land him. And it's like, oh, here we go again. We're going to do a quarterback. Seen this before. You have C.J. Carr committed, and that is huge because even though he stays in 2024, you're not going to get him for a couple years, you will get him eventually, and he is as good as they come. I think he's a five-star talent. So Mm. you definitely sleep a little bit easier knowing that you have C.J. Carr, but if you're having problems sleeping over Notre Dame football recruiting, then you got a lot more problems (laughs) than, (laughs) than, than, uh, than that.
1: All right, Mike, take off your recruiting cap for a second and put on your sales cap because we've reached the portion of our conversation. We have to remind Notre Dame fans that, hey, the blue and gold greatest deal on the face of the earth is still available right now, and you really can't pass on it as we are now within, what, 90 days of the start of the college football season. So the time is now.
3: Yeah, I mean, for casual Notre Dame fans – I mean, if you don't follow recruiting, I mean, as your friend, you know, I would, I would tell you. you can't really go wrong here. If you get into it, college football recruiting, it's a drug and it's exciting and it's going to make your off season a, a lot more fun. Um, so, you know, but if, if you don't need that, then,
0: you know, you, you don't
3: need it, but you can still subscribe to blue and Gold.com for a dollar for a year, your first year you get access to the message board. You get access to our staff. We're on there talking with our members all day long. Um, you get all the scoop on recruiting. Again, if that's something you want to follow, um, you know, excellent coverage of the team. I mean, it, it's we have a great staff at Bloom Gold and an even better community. Um, we, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without you know the, the folks on our message board. So definitely uh, head to BloomGold.com and and, and sign up for a dollar for a year.
1: Well, if recruiting under Brian Kelly was like a Mountain Dew, right now Marcus Freeman's recruiting is kind of like a ghost energy drink. It's a high-energy drink. I mean, it is nonstop action. And the great thing is, Mike, they're getting commitments, and they are getting commitments from elite guys. Not one time in the last year have you talked about, well, this guy's probably kind of a project. You know, he may not ever matter to this program. I mean, they are just bringing in – Elite after elite player, and that's awfully exciting.
3: Good point. It's a really good point. You can use I it mean, in your next I'd article. about a guy like Joe so, <laughs> He worked out.
1: Well, Mike, good to catch up with you. Great work, as always, on our program, and, of course, at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Blueandgold.com. Always appreciate your knowledge and information, and we will talk to you eh, maybe later in the week.
3: All right, sounds good. Thanks, Darren.
1: That's Mike Singer, Notre Dame Football Recruiting Insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sports beat continues next on 960 AM WSBT and WSBTradio.com.
0: money, money, money. money,
3: money, money, money. Show me the money. money. <laughs> we go with Sizzle. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It is our sports wagering segment at 647. Darren Pritchett with you. Came back vacation. Came back from vacation last night. Got back into the sports wagering game on the show. And it did not go on. In fact, the losses weren't even close. This was a brutal night. White Sox Angels over eight and a half runs. That was my choice. Seven was the total. Angels won 4-3. Guardians and twins, I took the Guardians on the money line at plus 105. they lost 11 to 1. I took the Marlins on the money line at St. Louis at plus 110. they lost nine to nothing. nothing like wagering against your team. and the Rangers saved the day on the money line at the Royals at minus 145. they won 10 to 4. So one and three last night, 18, 16 and 1 for the month were 10 games over 500 for the season. Here are the four suggestions for tonight. Reds on the money line at plus 100 at the Cubs. We're going to take the underdog on the road, backing Luis Castillo, the Red starting pitcher. Rough early start of the year. Been really good late. Last seven starts, a 3.27 earn run average. I'm taking the Astros on the money line at minus 130 at the Mets. And Framber Valdez is the reason why I'm going with the Astros. Valdez, the starting pitcher, has just a 1.95 ERA on the road. His last seven starts have been very good, while Carrasco, who's starting for the Mets, his ERA the last seven, 5.20. Third selection. The Rays on the money line at minus 120 against the Brewers. Brandon Woodruff coming off the injured list to start for the Brewers. A guy that I saw pitch against South Bend. Big fan of this guy. He's going to be a star eventually. Just getting his feet wet right now. Shane Baz, the starting pitcher for Tampa Bay. I'm going with the Rays at home over the Brewers. Despite the pitching matchup being lopsided, I'm just curious to see how good Woodruff is coming off the injured list. Fourth selection. Diamondbacks on the money line at minus 110 against the Padres. This is a coin flip game. I'm going with the home team and backing the guy I always back, Zach Galeen. He normally is the underdog in these matchups because of the team he plays for tonight. It's a coin flip. Galeen versus Manea. I'm going Diamondbacks on the money line at minus 110. And the underdog pick. I'm going to go back to the Astros-Mets game. I'm going to say the Astros win by two or more runs. So the underdog pick, Astros minus one and a half runs against the Mets at plus 135, 649 at WSBT.